Good evening, my friends, and welcome to another episode of Terror Radio Podcast. If this is your first time joining me, then welcome. This is a podcast dedicated in bringing you the best of horror and thriller, old-time radio broadcasts, as well as original stories. I'm your host, Keith, a.k.a. The Radio Show Nerd, and tonight's episode is entitled 70s Rewind. And just like the episode 80s Rewind, I'll be featuring two radio programs that burst onto the scene during the revival of old-time radio, which began in the mid-1970s. So, without further ado, this is Terra Radio. The two radio series highlighted tonight are The Price of Fear and The Zero Hour. Now, a brief rundown on both programs. The Price of Fear was a horror-slash-mystery series which ran on the BBC radio from 1973 to 1983, and it was hosted and starred the great Vincent Price. The radio play tonight is called Lot 132, and it was written by Elizabeth Morgan, and it first broadcasted on October 6, 1973. Following that is the radio series The Zero Hour. Now, this was a anthology series which first ran in syndication on September 3, 1973, but was picked up by the Mutual Broadcasting System in December of that year. It ran until July 26, 1974, and was hosted by this guy you may have heard of before named Rod Serling. <laughs> it was produced by J.M. Kolos, I hope I pronounced that correctly, and Don Hills. The radio play tonight is entitled Terror in the Night. And it stars the crooner Mel Torme and was written by Glenhall Taylor and was first broadcasted on April 30th, 1974. So, you know the drill. Sit back, turn down the lights, and listen to Lot 132, followed by Terror in the Night. Price of Fear, brought to you by Vincent Price. I expect some of you may know of my interest in and love of painting. My wife calls it a passion. Indeed, I have very fond memories of my early years in London when, as a student of art history... I shared a flat in Baker Street with... <laughs> That's another story. I'll, I'll tell you about it sometime. Actually, I paint a little myself, but primarily my interest has always been in buying paintings, some for my personal pleasure, but even more for galleries. Sometimes I've traveled across a continent from one end to the other in pursuit of a painting. In the early days, especially, half the excitement lay in the chase and half in the gamble, the backing of one's own judgment. As you may imagine, this passion of mine has led me to some very strange places and into situations one would never have thought possible. There was one such situation so bizarre, so frightening, so disastrous as to be almost unbelievable. Oddly enough, I was reminded of it only last week when I was driving through Winchester, for it was here, twenty years ago, that I unwittingly triggered off an awful chain of events. I shall call my story Lot 132. It was a cold day, I remember, and probably as much to keep warm as anything else, I'd strolled into a small auction room just off of the high street. The auction was about halfway through. 
Lot 132, a portrait of a man, early 19th century, English school, artist unknown. I moved forward to take a closer look. The portrait was of a man in a crimson riding jacket. He looked about 45, with black hair, a large, bony face, and small, closely set eyes. Now, at that time, I had an interest in a modest gallery in London, and although this was clearly a painting of some quality, I, I felt no desire to buy it. Besides, there was something oddly unnerving about that face, particularly the eye. What am I bid? My gaze continued to be drawn to the portrait. It was an, an uncomfortable sensation. Fifteen pounds? Fifteen pounds. Eighteen? Eighteen? And there I was, against my will, bidding for lot 132, for an unknown man in a riding jacket. Twenty-five pounds. Twenty-five. The portrait was mine. But I, I, I didn't have my usual elation about the purchase. I decided it must be my own illogical hypersensitivity to the face that was, well, that was at fault. When I got back to London, I put the painting in a small anteroom of the gallery and forgot all about it. Until a few days later, when an old acquaintance, Michael Emsley, called on me. Oh, Michael, it's so good to see you. And what a surprise to find you here. Why aren't you in New York? Oh, that's next month. <laughs> I can never give up with you. How are the children? Marvelous. Simon away at school yet? No. At the last minute, we decided against it. Oh, why was that? It's very simple, really. Neither Marion nor I wanted some frosty matron to have the rest of his childhood. <laughs> right. You know, as a foreigner, I've never understood why the English take the trouble to have children, only to banish them for eight months of the year to some... Bastille of learning. <laughs> well, Marion's always been opposed to the idea. How is that beautiful wife of yours? Beautiful? Actually, Marion's the reason I'm here. She has a birthday soon. And you'd like to buy her a painting. That was the idea. <laughs> uh, but uh, something modest, of course. Oh, yes, of course, of course. Now, uh, why don't we have a conducted tour? We walked through and talked about the paintings that interested Michael. Suddenly he stopped and said... That portrait over there. Yeah? I don't know. It seems to draw me to mm. it. I must say, I don't particularly like the chap's face, but I feel compelled to look at him. I've noticed that throughout the conversation of the past hour, no matter where Michael had been standing in the gallery, he turned round time and again to stare at the face. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yes, I, I do know what you mean. I, I bought it in Winchester last week. Winchester? Mm -hmm. That's Marion's hometown. Well, then perhaps he's an ancestor. Vincent, what a good idea. Sorry, I'm not with you. Well, she's often said she'd like a few family portraits <laughs> to sport on the wall. <laughs> I see what you mean. But, but supposing she doesn't like him? Uh, that's a point. Look here, why don't you take him on APRO? Hmm? Would you mind? Not at all. I've known you long enough. And so, after we'd exchanged a transaction slip, Michael Emsley took the portrait, promising to give me Marion's answer in a couple of weeks. I must admit, I... I... Well, I wasn't sorry to see it go. One evening, about two weeks later, I was sitting in my study at home, browsing through a recently acquired folio of early 19th century drawings and engravings. I was delighted when halfway through... I turned up an engraving based on that very portrait. What was more, I found out it had been painted by one Jacob Robertson in 1825. He was a painter just now being rediscovered. And the sitter was identified as Nathaniel Jeremiah Blackwell, 1782 to 1830, cloth merchant. The name rang a bell, but... That was all. 
I was about to telephone Michael the news of my discovery when I noticed the time. It was almost 10.30. Well, I don't know about you, but I dislike being disturbed by the telephone after 10, so I decided to leave the call until morning. So the next day, I called the Emsley household. Yes? Michael? No, sir. Oh, uh, could I speak to Marion, uh, uh, Mrs. Emsley? I'm afraid not. Would you mind telling me who you are, sir? I didn't recognize the voice, but, well, very briefly, I explained who I was and about the whole portrait business. You say you're a friend, Mr. Price? Yes, yes. How long have you known them, sir? Oh, about seven or eight years. Why? Uh, who are you? Chief Inspector Lowther, sir. Murder squad. Within minutes, I was in the car, heading for the Berkshire village where the Emsleys lived. All I could hear, all I could think about were the words, Murder Squad. What in God's name had happened? My heart was pounding as I drew up at the house. Chief Inspector Lowther met me at the door. Come into the sitting room, please, Mr. Price. Uh, oh, my God, Inspector. This, this room, it, it looks as if it had been ravaged by a madman. Madman's the right word, sir. Well, uh, the, the Emsleys, Michael, Marion, where are they? Mr. Emsley's at headquarters, taken into custody. Custody? Why? He gave himself up, Mr. Price. Well, uh, and Mrs. Emsley's dead, sir. Murdered. M murdered? But... What about the children? Oh, for pity's sake, Inspector, where are they... Let me take them. Let me look after They're them. They're dead, too, sir. At this point, I... I felt physically sick. My knees seemed about to give way, so I sat down in the only chair left undamaged. As I did so, I noticed lumps and streaks of blood spattering the walls, the curtains, and the carpet... The inspector must have thought I was going to pass out because he poured me a brandy and we went outside into the fresh air. Gradually, he told me the details. It happened about 10.30 last evening, sir. It seems that Mr. Emsley, for no apparent reason, suddenly went berserk and attacked his wife with a hatchet. <sighs> then threw her body into the swimming pool. But, Inspector, it, it, it simply can't be true. Marion... He adored her. Uh, the children, what, what happened to them? Poison, Mr. Price. Oh, my God. Weed killer in their milk. Forensics say they were both dead by nine o'clock. Did Michael Emsley do this, too? I'm afraid so, sir. It's just about the most hideous murder I've ever known. After that, the inspector questioned me about Michael. Well, not being a really close friend, I... I couldn't tell him very much, except that he was... Well, he was the gentlest of men and appeared to be completely devoted to his wife and family. There seemed to be no clue to this sudden, unaccountable violence. When I spoke a little later to their old housekeeper, Mrs. Thomas, the poor woman looked deathly white and was clearly distraught. I keep telling them how kind he was, but I don't think they believe me. There was nothing cruel about Mr. Emsley. It was you who raised the alarm, wasn't it? Oh, yes, Mr. Price. I heard this strange sobbing oh. noise, you see. More like, more like an animal in pain. What time is that, Miss Thomas? Oh, it must have been about midnight, midnight, sir, so... Well, I jumped out of bed, and, and that's when I found him. Where? By the swimming pool, sir. Well, it was too late to stop anything, Mr. Price. He'd already thrown poor Mrs. Emsley's body into... Yes, yes. But, uh, look, did, did he try to attack you? Oh, no, 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 sir. Crying like a baby, he was. And when he saw me, see, he told me about the children. Yes. Oh, my poor little loves. Oh, it's all my fault, Mr. Price. If only I hadn't let him take up their bedtime drink. Well, didn't he... Didn't he usually? Oh, no, sir, no. I did that, you see, always. But last night, he insisted. Insisted? How do you mean? Well, he, 
Well, he fairly snatched the mugs off the tray and told me to get out the way. Well, that, that doesn't sound like him. Oh, no, sir, it wasn't. But, well, he, he had been a bit funny for about a fortnight. Funny, you, you mean bad-tempered? Uh... Yes, yeah, with the children and with Mrs. Emsley, sir. Well, perhaps he was worried about his work. No, I or... couldn't say that, but I know Mrs. Amsley was worried about him. The way he'd sit in his study for hours, just brooding. Not himself at all. And he'd been like this for about two weeks. Just about, sir. Oh, dear, oh, dear. I can't believe it, Mr. Price. I can't believe it. Before leaving, the inspector reminded me about the portrait... When he saw the transaction slip, suggested that I take the painting back with me to London. It was hanging in Michael's study. For a moment, we looked at it together. A thoroughly evil-looking so-and-so, isn't he? Evil. That was it. I didn't know that you could actually smell evil, but you can. That study stank of it. Nathaniel Jeremiah Blackwell seemed to dominate us, and I, I felt an aura of what I can only call satanic triumph emanating from that canvas. But I, I tried to put this down to imagination in my own wretched state of mind. As I left the house, the police had started to empty the swimming pool of its red water. It was a sickening sight. Within hours, the portrait was once again in the back room of the gallery, and although privately I decided either to lose it or even destroy it, I, I said nothing to my partners. I, I could hardly tell them that I destroyed a painting of quality simply because I had a, a, well, a, a feeling about it. The next morning, I flew to New York on my prearranged business trip, and a month later, I found myself in a library in Washington, D.C. Idling away an hour or two, I, I came across a newly published encyclopedia of criminals and criminology. Flicking through the pages, I found this entry. Nathaniel Jeremiah Blackwell, 1782 to 1830. Hanged in London for the murder of his wife and children. Brutally assaulted wife with hatchet. Throwing body into river. Poison put in children's gruel. Nicknamed Killer Satan. So that was it. Blackwell's evil. It must still be alive. How else could one account for Michael Emsley's behavior? But despite instinct, I couldn't logically dismiss the possibility of coincidence. However, I, I didn't intend to take any chances. That portrait had to be destroyed. Immediately, I cancelled all further engagements, and the next day flew back to London. Can you imagine my horror? When on arrival at the gallery, I found the portrait had been sold three weeks previously. I had to work quickly. The record showed it had been bought by a Peter Smythe living in Haywards Heath. I telephoned and spoke to his wife, telling her that there had been some confusion over the portrait, that my partner was unaware that I'd promised it to another client. Do you want to buy it back, Mr. Price? Uh, Mrs. Smythe, it, it would save me a great deal of embarrassment if that were possible. Well, so far as I'm concerned, by all means. I can't stand it. It gives me the creeps. Uh, what about your husband? Well, he seems quite fond of it. Oh. It's hanging in his study. I see. Do you think I have any chance of persuading him to part with the painting? You could come over and try, if you like. Thank you. This evening? Yes, but... Um, could you make it about 8.30? I'll have got the children to bed by then. We'll have more of a chance to talk. Yes, I understand completely. 8.30 then. Thank you, Mrs. Smythe. Goodbye. Coincidence? Imagination. I couldn't take the risk. This time I had to back my instinct. I had to get to the Smythe house before the children were put to bed. I arrived at about 8 and left the car parked outside the front gates. 
As I walked up the long drive, sheer natural curiosity urged me to peer through the window of a small garden shed. Standing on a workbench was a large tin, clearly marked weed killer, poison. I quickened my steps to the house. Approaching the front door, I, I could now see the gardens which lay at the back. When I saw a large ornamental fish pond, my stomach turned over. Weed killer? Water? Coincidence again? I rang the bell. Good evening. You must be Mr. Price. Uh, yes, that's right. I, I'm sorry I'm a little early. Oh, that doesn't matter. I haven't quite got the children settled yet, but do come in. Thank you. Actually, I'm rather glad you are early. Oh. I haven't had a chance to tell him about this portrait business oh. yet, but I'd, I'd like to explain about my husband. Well, is he ill? Oh, no. No, not physically, but, but he's... Well, he's become depressed oh. uh, about life in general, so, so he, he may give you the wrong impression. But, uh, how do you mean? Well, he's always been such a happy easy-going person. No temperament at all. Not like me. And he's changed? Oh, yes. Yes, totally. He's moody. He's irrational. And, uh, he's never been bad-tempered with me and the children for no reason. But now... Miss he... Knight, how long has this been going on? Oh, about three weeks. Three? I, I can't understand it. it. It happened almost overnight. Three weeks, I see. But does he want to talk about it? I mean, communicate. Oh, or... no. No, that, that's just it. He, he takes himself off to his study and sits there for hours, alone. Well, perhaps he's overworked. Maybe he needs a holiday. Oh, we tried that a week ago. Was he any better? Much. But within a few hours of being home, he, he was just the same. Oh, I'm so worried about him. Do forgive me, Mr. Price, letting my hair down to a complete oh, stranger. Not at all, you... You've actually been a great help. If, if there's anything I can do... Well, I... as a matter of fact, I hope things may be improving. Oh? Yes, just before you arrived, Peter insisted he took the children's bedtime drink to them. <laughs> he almost threw me out of the kitchen. Mrs. Smythe, where is he now? <laughs> He's in the kitchen making it. The kitchen door opened and Peter Smythe walked out, carrying a tray... There were two mugs of milk on it. I knew that I had to stop him, so I edged to the foot of the stairs. Quickly, I thought, if I held out my hand as if to shake his, I could easily send the tray flying onto the floor. Darling, this is Mr. Price. He wants Get to... Get out of my way. How do you do, Mr. Smythe? Oh, oh stupid bloody oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, what must you think of me, oh, please? Please, it was an accident. Damn you, give me. Damn you, damn you. Uh, may I help clear up the mess? No, I... no, no, really, I I'll I'm do it. so sorry, Mrs. Smythe. Look, I, I know this is hardly the time, but I, I really must talk to your husband about that portrait. Yes, of course. Where does he go? Into the study. Oh, There's the portraits there, too. Thank you. We crossed the hall to the study. The door was closed. Darling. Darling, someone to see you. Peter? Peter Smythe was sitting at the desk, his back towards us, staring up at the portrait of Nathaniel Blackwell. In a second, I recognized the same smell of evil in that room, and I... I suddenly felt afraid. Peter? Do you feel all right? He sprang out of his chair and turned to face us. In his hand, he held a small hatchet. Peter! What you... He moved swiftly like an animal around the desk. You bitch! You whore! I hate you! Peter! What's the matter with you? Quickly, I moved between him and the desk, and standing behind him, grasped both his wrists. Whore! I hate you! Peter, please! You struggled with me, but I clung on. Finally, I managed to wrench the hatchet out of his grasp. As I swung round, my eyes met those of Nathaniel Jeremiah Blackwell, and in a split second I knew either that portrait must be destroyed or we should be. His evil was still alive, dominating, commanding. Then Peter Smythe, with a lunatic strength, threw himself at me. I shouted to his wife, Hold him! Hold him! Keep him back! It's the portrait! I must destroy that portrait! Hold him! Hold him! You fool! Leave that portrait alone! He gripped his hands around her neck. Quickly, I struck the portrait. 
with the first blow, Peter Smythe released his wife, cried out in pain, and reeled around the room. I struck Kip Blackwell's eyes, his nose, his mouth, his chest. I felt possessed, overwhelmed by anger and hate. But Smythe, his strength ebbing away with each blow, began to whimper like an animal. Finally, the picture cord gave way, and Nathaniel Jeremiah Blackwell slid to the floor. Oh, Peter! He's dead! No, no. No, Mrs. Smythe, he's not dead. Just wait a moment. Be patient. No, we must... We must get a doctor. Quickly, No, please. no, no. There's no need for that. Your husband has simply been... released. one remembers a nightmare. At first, a few details will remain clear. Then gradually, in time, all will be forgotten. And by you too, Mrs. Smythe. I haven't hurt you. Have I, darling? No, my love. You haven't. Not you. What strange powers a painting can have. Sometimes good, but in the case of Nathaniel Jeremiah Blackwell, evil. Hours later, after I'd burned what remained of the canvas, I I told the Smythes the whole story. There was one thing I didn't tell them, however, but I'll, I'll tell you. When the portrait crashed to the ground and Peter Smythe lay exhausted in his wife's arms, I noticed the vermilion paint of Blackwell's hunting jacket had come off the canvas and lined the knife edge of the hatchet. That was understandable. But why had so much appeared on my hands and streaked my wrists? Old paint should flake or powder. But this was wet, very wet. When I washed my hands a few moments later, I knew why. It wasn't paint. It was blood. Do any of you listening at home have portraits hanging on your walls? Are they of unknown cities? (laughs) Be careful how you look at them. You never know. Goodbye. Vincent Price bringing you The Price of Fear with Elizabeth Morgan, Douglas Blackwell and Alexander John. This story, Lot 132, was first recounted and dramatised by Elizabeth Morgan and produced by John Dias. I'm Rod Serling. You're listening to The Zero Hour. Rest your eyes. Exercise your imagination. Today, Glenn Hall Taylor's frightening suspense thriller. Terror in the Night. Starring Mel Torme. Mutual Broadcasting System presentation of The Zero Hour. Brought to you by the makers of General Motors Parts, by the State Farm Insurance Company, by Dial Soap, and by the makers of Contact on Mutual Radio.
that is what happens when you use dial soap. It starts right out with a clean, fresh scent that's like nothing else. To get you going clean and fresh. Washes away the cause of odor on your skin. You just can't buy a better deodorant soap than Dial. And that's saying something. California stands a Rococo Victorian house, a relic of the gold rush days of the last century. The house once rang with the laughter of the Schofield family, but today only Audrey Schofield and her granddaughter Karen are sheltered beneath a steep-pitched roof. A ten-foot post stands next to the RFD mailbox. From a bracket is suspended a sign which reads, Tourist Accommodations. In summer, Audrey and her grandmother derive a comfortable income from tourists. But this is the fall season, and on this Saturday night, Audrey and Karen are alone. In the living room, Audrey is knitting in a chair before the fireplace. Karen sits staring at the fire. A gentle collie sleeps in the warmth of the hearth. Karen, dear, why are you so glum tonight? It's not a cheerful night. Sometimes the rain is warm and friendly, but tonight it makes the house feel cold and clammy. The way I imagine it, too, for you. Karen, what on earth? Out the window. A man's face. Oh, I don't see anyone, dear. Grandma! Oh, for heaven's sake, child. It's just someone at the door. The same someone who was looking in the window. I'm scared. Nonsense. Probably someone wanting a room for the night. I don't see anyone here. Oh. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry, ma'am. I, I didn't mean to frighten you. Oh, these old eyes, young man. For a moment, they didn't adjust to the darkness out there. May I help you? Oh, I thought you might have a vacancy. Well, as a matter of fact, we do. Well, come on in. Just set your suitcase down anywhere. Get away from that suitcase. Angus, stop there. Now, get away. Shoot. Why, why don't you come on in here by the fire, Mr... Uh, uh, Lewis. Uh, Steve Lewis. Uh, I'm sorry I spoke to the dog that way. He, he startled me. I'm Mrs. Cofield. This is my granddaughter, Karen. Howdy, Karen. Hello. Say, this is... This is real nice and cozy. I, I love an open fire. Why, why, why are you looking at me like that? I was wondering why you were peering in the window before you knocked. Oh, well, the house reminded me of one that I saw in an old Boris Karloff movie. I, I thought I'd see something spooky instead of a sweet old lady and a pretty girl. Would you like to put your car in the garage? Oh, well, I have already. How long will you be staying? Uh, I'm not sure yet. Will, will the room be available for a few days? Well, you stay as long as you like. Oh, that's just fine, fine. By the way, I... I haven't told anyone where I'd be. I, I, I just had to get away from everything for a few days. You know how it is. I, I, I'd appreciate it if you didn't mention to anybody that I'm here. I understand. Body has to get away from his troubles once in a while. But don't you worry, young man. We won't say anything to anybody. Oh, that's great. Thank you. Now, your room is at the far end of the hall on this floor. Good. I'll, I'll put my suitcase in there right now. Would you like me to fix you a little supper? Oh, I appreciate that very much. Uh, is this the way to the room? Yes. I'll get the key and be right with you. Tell me, Jerry, how come our Mariposa County Sheriff is mixed up in a murder that happened in Stockton? Well, I'll brief it to you, Sam, but you got to keep it out of your paper until I give you the word. Now, to fill you in, this whole mess started in Oakland early this afternoon. A six-foot guy wearing a gray suit knocked over a movie theater in Oakland. He forced his way through the door at the back of the cashier's booth, threatened her with a heavy tire iron. He pocketed his take, made a getaway in the Saturday crowd. 
And any time he commandeered a traveling jewelry salesman's car, forced him to drive him to uh, Stockton, body was found near there. How do you know all this? Well, we don't have the actual proof yet, but the jewelry salesman's head was bashed in. His body had been dragged into some bushes. In addition, a quarter of an inch fragment of a gray suit material was found on a branch nearby. Now, the murdered man had been robbed, of course. That's fairly evident. We found the salesman's sample case near his body. It was empty. Why do you think he might be in this area? Well, we have a description of the guy. Cashier furnished that. In the glove compartment, we found a new automobile insurance policy number with a make, model, and license number of his car. The owner of a station in Colterville on Highway 49 remembered a guy in a gray suit who got out to get a drink of water to ask about the road to Mariposa. He was driving a car just like the salesman's. I hear the victim was in terrible shape. Oh, that's an understatement. This guy must be out of his gourd. A sadist or something. He clobbered him I don't know how many times. it's late for us to be washing dishes, but it did my heart good to see the way that young Mr. Lewis cleaned his plate. I wonder what he's got in that suitcase. Clothes, silly. What else? That's what I'm wondering. What else? You saw the way he acted when Angus started sniffing it. My goodness, Karen, that imagination of yours. Angus wasn't imagining. He smelled something he didn't like. And I don't like the idea of us being alone with that man in the house. But we can't turn him out in the rain. I know. I'll call Uncle Nat and ask him to spend the night with us. He'll laugh at you. I'll get him over here. Don't worry. Hello? 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 The phone is dead, Grandma. What do you suppose happened to it? I know what could have happened to it. And I'm going to go find out. Give your hand to a friend. Give your heart to your love. But give your allergy to contact. is our business, too. We know pollen. And we know that any of the 12,000 quarts of air you breathe each day may contain enough pollen to make your eyes itch, make you sneeze, and drip. We also know an ingredient that helps block pollen's bad effects. It's the antihistamine most prescribed by allergy specialists. It's an ingredient in contact. Give your hand to a friend. Give your heart to your love. Tiny time pills in one contact keep this antihistamine working up to 12 full hours, all day, all night. Give your to contact. Make contact only when needed, only as directed. Where does today's girl learn to be tomorrow's woman? At the movies? On television? Helen, darling, your floors are so shiny. Yes, John. I used Brandex polish just this morning. Brandex. Helen, will you marry me? Somewhere between the super sex symbol of today's commercialism and TV's Brandex image, impending womanhood is alive and well. And where is that somewhere? Wherever there are campfire girls. reaches the girl reaching out for tomorrow and puts a promise before her. The promise of personal development, of friends and fun, the promise of womanhood. Campfire takes today's girl to tomorrow. Seems we have a real hot one on our hands. What is it, Jerry? Well, if it's some prints off the sample case we found near the body, uh, we transmitted them to Washington. Now, according to this teletype, our tire iron of virtuoso is a Harry Hanford, 33, 6 feet, half an inch tall, 185 pounds, black hair, served term for assault and robbery. Here's a topper. 
Wanted for murder in Houston. Sounds like a charming fellow. Want to take a ride with me? You know me. Anything for a story. Especially if it'll get me a good obituary. No one's reported seeing the car since he left that service station in Colville. I think he's gone into hiding someplace since he left, which means it almost has to be this area. So? So I'm going to update the APB that's already out and check out every tourist camp, motel, and guest house from Mariposa to Coltaville. Let's go. Grandma! Heavens, Karen, why did you go out in all that rain? My hunch was right. I checked the telephone wires on the side of the house. They've been cut. He did it. I know he did. But why, dear? I don't know why. I only know he is evil. Shh. Here he comes. Oh, pardon me. I, I'll get settled down shortly and I won't disturb you anymore. But I, I have to get something for my car. I, I won't be long. Come, Grandma. Quick. Where to? I'm going to look in that suitcase. <laughs> What if he comes back and catches us? He's out. There's his suitcase. Oh, move that chair over here. Good. Well, look at all that jewelry. Oh, my. He's just tossed it on top of his clothes. It must be worth tons of money. I wonder what else is in here. Oh, what's this wrapped in his shirt? Whatever it is, it's heavy. There. Well, unwrap it. Be quick, he's liable to get back in. Oh, look! Oh. There's blood on it! Oh, oh, you're right. You're right, lady. That is blood. It's a man's blood. I killed him. Oh, oh. You don't seem surprised, young lady. Young man, we're not going to let you hide in this house. I, I, I'm going to... And where do you think you're going? Oh, I... I don't know. Let go of my arm, please. And you, young lady, you pick that up and put it back where you got it. I said, pick it up, damn it. Shut up. Down, Angus. Quiet. That's yeah, better. Now then, let's all understand each other, Okay. Until I'm ready to leave, you'll do exactly as I say, or I, I may just have to show you how well I can handle that tire iron. Oh, that may be another tourist. Uh, I really ought to answer I'll it. answer it. You roll that tire iron up in that shirt again and hand it to me. What are you going to do with it? I'm going to tuck it under my coat while I answer the front door. You didn't think I'd leave it here with you, did you? Thank you. Now, both of you. Both of you be quiet as baby mice. I'll just lock you in here while I take care of our late caller. Coming! Yes? I hate to bother you at this hour of the night, but I saw your sign and hoped you weren't all filled up. Oh, I'm... I'm terribly sorry, but I'm, I'm afraid I'm going to have to turn you down. Oh? There's sickness in the house. Well, I guess I'll just have to push into my poser and find my luck there. Thanks, anyway. Good night. Good night. Well, you behave very nicely. Mm -hmm. yeah, sorry I had to turn away some tourist business, but I'm sure you understand. Only too well. Now, look, you must know this can't go on indefinitely. I, I can't stay here forever, and I... Well, I can't very well leave you here. You could kill us. Karen, what a thing to say. Yeah, <laughs> isn't it? Especially when I have better use for you. What do you mean? Well, nobody will suspect a nice young man like me if I'm traveling with a sweet old lady and a pretty young girl. Especially if I'm driving a car the police aren't looking for. Now then, hand over the keys to your station wagon, get your coats on, and let's get out of here. <laughs> They just don't realize how little a renter's policy cost and how much it will do for them. State Farm agent Ed Axel of Fairmont, Minnesota.
and it's hard for people to realize just how much personal property they do have. They forget about the drawers full of different things. So we tell them how they can protect the property that they already have. If they do have a fire or theft, we will be there to take care of them so that you don't have to start over again. They're just shocked to find out that the rates are so low and the amount of coverage that we can give them for that low rate. State Farm Fire and Casualty offers renter's insurance that can protect just about all your personal property for very little cost. A good reason to see your nearby State Farm agent now. sure been staying away from here tonight, except for that guy at the end of the counter. Two coffees, Shorty. Anything with it, Jerry? Oh, coffee's fine, thanks. You know, seeing you two together at this hour makes me figure something's cooking besides my chili. Oh, just us snooping, Shorty. Hey, tell me, are there any houses north of here close by that is that take in tourists? Well, there's a good place a few miles north, the uh, Schofield House. Uh, did you say the Schofield House? Yes, sir. It... Excuse me for butting in, but I thought you ought to know that I was there a while ago and got turned down. The fellow that came to the door said that someone was sick. Fellow? You must be talking about another place. There ain't no man lives at the Schofield house, just an old lady and her granddaughter. It was the Schofield house, all right. I saw the name on the mailbox. Uh, what does this guy look like, mister? Well, <laughs> I'm afraid I didn't pay much attention. He was a tall fellow. Had on... A gray suit, as I remember. Why? Come on, Sam. Let's get the hell out of here. Into the back seat, Grandma. Come oh. on, come on. In you go. Take your hands off me. You, young lady, get in the front seat. No. I said get in there. Oh. Mama, losing time. I'm sorry Angus had to miss the trip, but a dog is such a responsibility, you know. Wait, there's a car coming. Yeah, I see it. It's slowing to turn in our driveway. Well, that's too bad, because they're going to have to wait for us to drive out first. <gasps> it's the sheriff's car. Dear. Hold on to your hat, Sam. We may have to fly this thing. figure a way to grab him without hurting the old lady and the girl. Hit the reds and siren, will you? Thanks. Can you catch up and force him off the road? Maybe. I don't want to crash him. We're gaining on him. Get that seatbelt fastened just in case something happens. Okay. Now, how about you? In God we trust. 98 miles an hour. You weren't kidding about flying this heap. Another two miles an hour, and we will be airborne. Now we've got him. I'm going to pass and crowd him onto the shoulder. Brace yourself just in case I flunk my driver's test. Thank God. Get out of the car with your hands up. 
Plant them on a car roof and spread them. All right, all right. Take it easy, you dumb pig. You got me. I'll dump them on the floor in the back of my car, and you can drive ladies home. And you ladies all right? Yes, thank you. But I'll tell you something. The first thing I'm going to do after I get a good night's rest is take down that tourist accommodation sign. I don't blame you. You know, sometimes a person can be too damned accommodating. Okay, creep, let's go. You're probably well aware of the advantages of a well-tuned car in helping you obtain better gas mileage. A well-tuned car can run more efficiently, more economically. If all cars were properly tuned and operating efficiently, we could save millions of gallons of gas. To help you evaluate your car's efficiency, your participating GM dealer has two new energy checks available. One is an economy checkup that includes an engine diagnosis along with several other inspections to see if your car is up to specs. The other is an economy tune-up to help give you a smooth running engine that performs efficiently. Making the most out of the gasoline around is one of our country's basic challenges. It's important to you and to us at General Motors. That's why we're inviting everyone to come in now for a GM energy check at a Chevrolet, Pontiac, Oldsmobile, Buick, or Cadillac dealer. Get together with him and get more of a run for your money. I'm Rod Serling. Close your eyes. Exercise your imagination. And join us again on our next presentation of The Zero Hour. Terror in the Night was adapted for radio by Glenn Hall Taylor. Mel Torme was heard as the killer. Featured in the cast were Lou Krugman, Peggy Weber, Sam Edwards, Diane Hale, and Bill Keane. Zero Hour. Created by J.M. Collis. Directed by Don Hills. Is produced in Hollywood for the Mutual Broadcasting System by Radio Productions Incorporated. Music composed and conducted by Stanley D. Hoffman. Rochelle Sherman, associate producer. This has been a presentation of the Mutual Broadcasting System. That's the show for tonight. I want to thank you all for listening. And remember, you can find me on Facebook at facebook.com slash terror1970. Or you can find me on Instagram at Radio Show Nerd or on Twitter at Radio Show Nerd 1. And if you want to drop me a line, say hello, make a suggestion, a request, a even a critique, please feel free to email me at Radio Show Nerd at gmail.com. I also have a YouTube channel. Please check it out. Subscribe. Like the videos. It would be highly appreciated. Again, this is your host, Keith, aka the Radio Show Nerd, signing off. <laughs>